0: This episode of Arizona Spotlight is supported by the Arizona Theater Company.
1: For Arizona Public Media, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. It's time to light the jack-o'-lantern, turn up the radio, and grab another handful of trick-or-treat candy. We've got an all-new collection of seasonal stories designed to thrill and chill. Don't be afraid, it's only the 13th annual Haunted Halloween Arizona Spotlight. When I ask people to tell me about the books they love, no matter their age, many immediately think of books that they read during their early teens. Those formative years provide a good chance to connect with a book that can become a lifelong friend. For me, The Westing Game, written in 1978 by Ellen Raskin, was just such a book. This Newbery award-winning novel tells the story of 16 seemingly random people who all find themselves living or working in the same apartment complex called Sunset Towers. A mystery surrounding the nearby haunted Westing House and what may still be lingering inside draws them all into a dangerous game of wits. Next, from the Literacy Connects program, Stories That Soar, Kristalina, an eighth grader at Amphi Middle School, will read an opening passage from the book. She will introduce us to Tabitha Ruth Turtle Wexler, a brave girl who is very proud of her long braided ponytail. As the story begins, Turtle is on the verge of taking a dare from her neighbors and friends that will end up changing her life forever.
2: Now, it was the end of October. A cold, raw wind whipped dead leaves about the ankles of the four people grouped in the Sunset Towers driveway. But none of them shivered. Not yet. The stocky, broad-shouldered man in the doorman's uniform, standing with spread feet, fist on hips, was Sandy McSellers. The two slim, trim high school seniors, shielding their eyes against the stinging chill were Theo Thorodakis and Doug Hu. The small, weary man pointing to the house on the hill was Otis Amber, the 62-year-old delivery boy. They faced north, gaping like statues cast in the moment of discovery, until Turtle Wexler, her kite tail of a braid flying behind her, raced her bicycle into the driveway. Look, look, there's smoke. There's smoke coming from the chimney of the Westing house. The others had seen it. What did she think they were looking at anyway? Turtle leaned on the handlebars panting for breath. Sunset Towers was near excellent schools as Barney Northrup had promised, but the junior high school was four miles away. Do you think, do you think Old Man Westing is up there? Nah, Otis Amber, the old delivery boy answered. Nobody's seen him for years. Supposed to be living on a private island in the South Seas, he is. But most folks say he's dead. Long gone dead. They say his corpse is still up there in that big old house. They say his body is sprawled out on a fancy oriental rug, and his flesh is rotting off those meat bones, and maggots are creeping in his eye sockets and crawling out his nose holes. The delivery boy added a high-pitched, <laughs> to the gruesome details. Now, someone shivered. It was Turtle. Serves him right, Sandy said. At other times, a cheery fellow, the doorman, often complained bitterly about having fired from his job of 20 years in the Westing paper mill. But somebody must be up there. Somebody alive, that is. He pushed back the gold-braided cap and squinted at the house through the steel-framed glasses as if expecting the curling smoke to write the answer in the autumn air. Maybe it's those kids again. No, it couldn't be. What kids? The three kids wanted to know. Why, those two unfortunate fellows from Westingtown. What unfortunate fellows? The three heads twisted from the doorman to the delivery boy, Doug who ducked turtle's whizzing braid. Touch her precious pigtail, even by accident, and she'll kick you in the shins, the brat. He couldn't chance an injury to his legs, not with the big meat coming the track star began to jog in place. Horrible, it was horrible, Otis Amber said with a shudder that sent loose straps of his leather aviator's helmet swinging about his long, thin face. Come to think of it, it happened exactly one year ago, tonight, on Halloween. What happened? Theothoridakis asked impatiently. He was late for work in the coffee shop. Tell them, Otis, Sandy urged. The delivery boy stroked the gray stubble on his pointed chin. Seems it all started with the bet. Somebody bet them a dollar they couldn't stay in the spooky house for five minutes. One measly buck. The poor kids hardly got through those French doors on the side of the Westing house when they came tearing out like they was being chased by a ghost. Chased by a ghost, or worse, or worse? Turtle forgot her throbbing toothache. Theothoradakis and Doug who, older and more worldly wise, exchanged winks, but stayed here. the rest of the crazy story. One fella ran out crazy like, screaming his head off. He never stopped screaming till he hit the rocks at the bottom of the cleft. The other fella hasn't said but two words since. Something about purple? Sandy helped him out. Purple waves. Otis Amber nodded sadly, Yep. That poor fella just sits in the state asylum saying, purple waves, purple waves, over and over again, and his scared eyes keep staring at his hands. You see, when he came running out of the Westing house, his hands was dripping with warm, red blood. Now all three shivered. Poor kid, the old man said. All that pain and suffering for a dollar bet. Make it $2 for each minute I stay in there, and you're on, Turtle said.
1: What does Turtle Wexler find in that haunted house? The answer will definitely surprise you. Thanks to Kristalina for her excellent reading from the beginning of The Westing Game, written in 1978 by Ellen Raskin. Crystallina is part of the Youth Center, a Stories That Soar after-school program. It's a place where student-age writers can bring their stories to life. since officially opening for travel almost 100 years ago u.s route 66 has become a part of many urban legends and superstitions i just talked with paranormal researcher debbie branning about her odyssey traveling route 66 across arizona including places like flagstaff holbrook oatman and winslow and stopping at every ghost town haunted hotel and creepy tourist attraction that lies in between. Debbie Branning's new book is Arizona's Haunted Route 66 and next she shares some of what she encountered.
0: it's quite spooky. you got to remember, it's the last of the wild frontier. So you have the wild, wild west stories along with the current stories of the west. It's not as old as back east in Boston and places like that. But there are a lot of old Victorians and wild spirits in Arizona that can sell a book easy.
1: I wonder if a lot of the lore surrounding untimely deaths and paranormal manifestations don't have to do with reminding people that life is precious and this can be a dangerous place
0: probably true Um, I wouldn't say that Arizona's real dark dark energy is more as a unsettled energy that's the way I usually go at it just kind of a positive attitude when I speak with spirits so I get good energies all the time I've never had an encounter with anything evil at all in the 30 years I've been doing this
1: tell me a story of discovery from early in your exploration of Route 66. What was one of the things that you came across that you knew was going to be in the book?
0: Yeah, the painted desert in the story that I recall, it was run by a, a lady and she ran it quite well, but she was a chain smoker and apparently one night she fell asleep while she was smoking and caught the whole place on fire, a tremendous fire that destroyed a lot of the, the building. Fortunately, there was a, someone, a ranger or a caretaker outside that happened to see the smoke, and he ran in. He was able to get her out of the fire, but she did um, die from the smoke. These days, people still smell cigarette smoke now and then in the building, and they believe it is her. Because there is no smoking allowed inside or outside the building. So they believe she makes an appearance once in a while. I think they actually have seen her on the staircase in the building as well.
1: In your book, you have a chapter called the Walnut Canyon Ghost Bridge. What makes this bridge a
2: unique place?
0: Well, there was a lot of train wrecks there. There was a train that was on the tracks that were right near the, the canyon. And a bad accident. A, a lady was, was killed there. And it was really sad because they had to, like, take her body and, and hold it out and get her on another train. And there was other stories about a young boy who was killed by a car along the road, too. That's the thing we found out a lot. There were a lot of um, car accidents and and those kind of tragedies, which happens on many, many highways. So the bridge is just, you know, still there. You can't cross it with your vehicle, but you can walk across it and you can look down and see, you know, the canyon and and the ridge there, too.
1: Something that played a really important role in this state's history has been astronomy. And uh, Percival Lowell is a hero to a lot of astronomers. His observations of Mars were groundbreaking. Um, So tell us about Lowell Observatory. It's a place that people may have visited as tourists, but they may not have heard about Uncle Percy.
0: Yeah, yeah, they may have not known about um, the spirit who still wanders the grounds. His mausoleum is there, which is very, very beautiful. And you can kind of feel it, you know, the energy around. The rangers that work there told us that, yeah, occasionally they do see a man just kind of wandering some of the library buildings there, the educational buildings that are there. They've seen him in there. And um, he's still very active because that was his life. That was his joy. And so a lot of times spirits come to places they loved um, learning from and associated with. They'll be back just because it was their happy place. It was their, you know, their good life. Like I said, enough spirits don't always come around bad things. They come around good things, too.
1: One type of building that is often um, connected with ghost stories or said to have spirits living there that would be theaters. Um, theaters are notoriously haunted places, and you highlight at least one in the book in Flagstaff.
0: Well, the Orpheum was built, and it, and it kind of had to be rebuilt because of fires, and there was a big storm that kind of caved it in. People that worked there had always seen things happening weird in the concession stances. So it's a lot of prankster ghosts with theaters. Theaters that have a lot of drama because of the movies and plays they did, and a lot of the people that were in the movies and plays are associated with drama. So that is a lot of it. Uh, as far as um, the ghosts that come back in the theaters. And it's usually someone sitting in a certain area. I was sitting there and there was a, somebody sitting next to me and then they were gone. And I seen a lady in a hat from another time period. She was down up front and, and then I turned around and there was nobody really there. So that's a lot of the spirits that come back into theaters were either ones that work there and sometimes there's even like, you know, little tragedies of people that were killed in like the projection room or something like that. And they come back because they're still on the job. They, they, They didn't finish their job. So they come back once again to see if they can finish their night's work. (laughs) <laughs>
1: that, that seems like a dismal prospect to continue yeah. uh, working at I know. I job. always
0: think, am I going to be working on my old jobs again someday? <laughs> am I going to be back at the motor vehicles again?
1: You introduce yourself as someone who wrote ghost books. Maybe that will be what you do. You write ghost books. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you become a true I'll be ghost in the writer. Li-
0: I'll be in the library pushing mine off the, off the shelf so people check them out.
1: Debbie Branning's latest book, following her paranormal obsession, is called Arizona's Haunted Route 66, published by Arcadia. Stay tuned, if you dare, for the Rogue Theaters adaptation of Oscar Wilde's classic comedic tale of a ghost who may have learned his lesson. It's right after this break. Happy Halloween! Welcome back to the 13th Annual Haunted Halloween Arizona Spotlight. The Rogue Theater has been bringing theatrical experiences to Tucson for 17 seasons. When I asked if their company might have a story appropriate for Halloween, they suggested an adaptation of a classic tale from Oscar Wilde that was written in 1887. It tells the story of a menacing phantom who meets his match when a young American girl and her family move into his castle. It is here that he has been compelled by an ancient curse to restlessly walk the halls for eternity. The Canterville
3: Ghost by Oscar Wilde.
4: When Mr. Hiram B. Otis, the American, bought Canterville Chase, everyone told him he was doing a very foolish thing, as there was no doubt at all that the place was haunted.
5: I come from a more modern country, where we have everything that money can buy. I reckon that if there were such a thing as a ghost in Europe, we'd have it back home in one of our public museums. But there is no such thing as a ghost.
4: So Mr. Otis and his family went down to Canterville Chase. Standing on the steps to receive them was Mrs. Omney, the housekeeper.
1: I bid you welcome to Canterville Chase. Following
4: her, they passed through the fine Tudor Hall into the library. Suddenly Mrs. Otis caught sight of a dull red stain on the floor by the fireplace.
1: I am
0: afraid something has been spilt there. Yes,
1: madam. Blood has been
0: spilt on that spot. How horrid. I don't at all care for bloodstains in a sitting room. It must be removed at once. It is the blood of Lady Eleanor
1: who was murdered on that very spot by her own husband, Sir Simon de Canterville, in 1575. Sir Simon's body has never been discovered, but his guilty spirit still haunts the chase. The bloodstain cannot be removed. That is all nonsense. Pinkerton's Champion Stain Remover will clean it up in no time.
4: And before the terrified housekeeper could interfere, he was rapidly scouring the floor. In a few moments, no trace of the blood stain could be seen. I knew
5: Pinkerton would do it.
2: I have seen things with
1: my own eyes, sir, that would make any Christian's hair uh, stand on end.
4: The storm raged fiercely all that night. The next morning, when the family came down to breakfast, they found the terrible stain of blood once again on the floor. I don't think it can be the fault of the stain remover, for I have tried it with everything. It must be the ghost. He rubbed out the stain a second time, but the next morning it appeared again. And that night, Mr. Otis was awakened by a curious noise in the corridor. There he saw an old man of terrible aspect. His eyes were as red burning coals. Long gray hair fell over his shoulders in matted coils. His garments were soiled and ragged, and from his wrists hung rusty shackles. My dear sir, I really must insist on your oiling those chains, and have brought you for that purpose a small bottle of the Tammany Rising Sun Lubricator. It is said to be completely efficacious upon one application, and there are several testimonials to that effect on the wrapper. I shall leave it here for you, and will be happy to supply you with more, should you require it. For a moment, the Canterville ghost stood quite motionless in natural indignation. Then, dashing the bottle violently upon the polished floor, he fled down the corridor, emitting a ghastly green light. (laughs) Just as he reached the top of the staircase, a large pillow whizzed past the ghost's head. <laughs> On reaching the small secret chamber, the ghost leaned up against a moonbeam to recover his breath.
3: Never in my brilliant career of 300 years have I been so grossly insulted. Offering me rising sun lubricator and throwing pillows at my head, it's quite unbearable. No ghost in
4: history has ever been treated in this manner. I shall have my vengeance. The second appearance of the ghost was on Sunday night, shortly after the family had gone to bed. Rushing downstairs, they found that a large suit of armor had fallen on the stone floor while the Canterville ghost was rubbing his knees with an expression of agony on his face. The twins, having brought their pea shooters with them, at once discharged two pellets on the ghost.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
4: on reaching the top of the staircase, the ghost recovered himself and laughed his most horrible laugh. <laughs> For some days the ghost hardly stirred out of his room at all, except to keep the blood stain in proper repair. He resolved, however, to make a third attempt to frighten the American and his family. At midnight, the ghost stepped stealthily out of the wainscoting, with an evil smile on his cruel, wrinkled mouth. He chuckled to himself and turned the corner.
1: Ah!
4: Right in front of him was standing a ghost. From the eyes streamed rays of scarlet light. The mouth was a wide well of fire, and it bore aloft a sword of gleaming steel. Never having seen a ghost before, he fled back to his room. After a time, he determined to go and speak to the other ghost as soon as it was daylight. He returned to the spot where he had laid eyes on the grisly phantom, but something had happened to the ghost. The light had entirely faded from its hollow eyes. He rushed forward and seized it in his arms, when, to his horror, the head slipped off, and he found himself clasping a white bed curtain with a kitchen cleaver and a hollow turnip lying at his feet. I have been tricked, foiled, outwitted. He now gave up all hope of ever frightening this rude American family, and contented himself with creeping about the passages and slippers with a thick red muffler round his throat for fear of draughts. It was generally assumed that the ghost had gone away. One day, Mr. Otis's daughter, Virginia, saw the Canterville ghost sitting by a window. His whole attitude was one of extreme depression.
5: I am so sorry for you. But if you behave yourself, no one will annoy you. But I must
3: rattle my chains and groan through keyholes and walk about at night. It is my only reason for
5: existing. It is no reason at all for existing, and you know you have been very wicked. Mrs. Umney told us the first day we arrived here that you had killed your wife.
3: Well, I quite admit it, but it was a purely family matter and
5: concerned no one else. It is very wrong to kill anyone. Oh, I
3: hate the cheap severity of abstract ethics. My wife was very plain, never had my ruffs properly starched, and knew nothing about cookery. However, I don't think it was very nice of her brothers to starve me to death, though I did kill her.
5: Starve you to death? Oh, Mr. Ghost, are you hungry? I have a sandwich in my case. Would you like it?
3: No, thank you. I never eat anything now. But it is very kind of you. You are much nicer than the rest of your horrid, rude, vulgar family.
5: Stop! You are rude and horrid and vulgar, and the best thing you can do is to emigrate and improve your mind. Once in New York, you are sure to be a great success. I don't think I
3: should like America.
5: Well, good evening. Please don't
3: go, Miss Virginia. I am so lonely and so unhappy, and I really
5: don't know what to do. I want to go to sleep, and I cannot. That's quite absurd it is very difficult sometimes to keep awake especially at church but there is no difficulty at all about sleeping why even babies know how to do that and they are not very clever
3: i have not slept for 300 years and i am so tired
5: poor poor ghost have you no place where you can sleep
3: far away beyond the pine woods there is a little garden There the grass grows long and deep. There are the great white stars of the hemlock flower. There the nightingale sings all night long.
5: You mean the garden of death? Yes,
3: death. Death must be so beautiful. To lie in the soft brown earth with the grasses waving above one's head and listen to silence to forget time, to forgive life, to be at peace. You can help me. You can open for me the portals of death's house, for against the purity of a little child, the powers of hell cannot prevail.
5: I am not afraid, and I will ask the angel to have mercy on you.
4: He rose from his seat and taking her hand, bent over it with an old-fashioned grace and kissed it. Quick,
3: quick! Or it will be too late.
4: And in a moment, the wainscoting had closed behind them. About ten minutes later, the bell rang for tea. Virginia was nowhere to be found. Mr. Otis dispatched telegrams to all the police inspectors in the county. It was evident that Virginia was lost to them. Suddenly, as midnight began to boom from the clock tower, a panel at the top of the staircase flew back and outstepped... Virginia, looking very pale and white. Good heavens, child, where
1: have you been?
5: Papa, I have been with the ghost. He has been very wicked, but he is really sorry for all that he has done.
1: Virginia
4: led them to a little low room. Embedded in the wall was a huge iron ring, and chained to it was a gaunt skeleton that seemed to be trying to grasp with its long, fleshless fingers an old wooden platter and a jug that were placed just out of its reach. Virginia knelt down beside the skeleton and began to pray silently.
5: Look! The almond tree has blossomed! God has forgiven him!
4: Four days later at the funeral, just as the coffin was being lowered into the grave, the moon came out from behind a cloud and flooded the little churchyard with its silent silver. And from a distant copse, a nightingale began to sing.
1: The Canterville Ghost was excerpted from the 1887 short story by Oscar Wilde, adapted by Cynthia Meyer, starring Hunter Natt, Aaron Shand, Carly Elizabeth Preston, Cynthia Meyer, Joseph McGrath, and Bryn Booth. It was directed by Christopher Johnson. This Rogue Theater presentation was supported in part by the Arts Foundation for Tucson and Southern Arizona and Marianne Leedy. Join us here on Arizona Spotlight. For more rogue radio drama coming soon. And thank you for listening to the 13th annual Haunted Halloween
5: Arizona
1: Spotlight. On behalf of production engineer Jim Blackwood, plus Sharon, Dallas, and Crystalina from Stories That Soar, Debbie Branning and her intrepid band of southwestern ghost hunters, and our friends at the Rogue Theater, plus all the things that go bump in the Tucson night. This is Mark McLemore, wishing everyone a very safe, healthy, and extremely scary Halloween.
0: (laughs) Thank you to Arizona Theatre Company for their support of Arizona Public Media.